fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then repackage the dark horrors I have discovered, and then place them into the brain of my friend Caitlin. Great. This episode, we will be covering the week of September 23rd. How are you, Caitlin? I am okay. I am getting over that cold that's going around, and I currently have an ear infection in my left ear. Well, you were blaming me for the sickness because I was sick last week, but yeah. I did not have an ear infection. So, Well, I got an ear infection because when you get colds, fluid blocks up in a certain part of your ear. And um, Listen, it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah, and so because that fluid irritated my one ear so much, it's infected. Oh. I see. Well, so the cold is what gave me the ear infection and you gave me the cold. Therefore, this is all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's usually my fault. But mm -hmm. before we get to it, I just want to say we have some breaking news. So uh, this happened uh, just uh, a mere five hours ago. So let's check out what happened five hours ago. I understand uh, things were a bit delayed for Mr. Shear. What happened? Lots of drama here, not related to the disability tax credit. Surprisingly enough, a reporter with Rebel Media showed up here and was barred entry, was escorted out of the facility by... First, the RCMP and then the Peel Regional, uh, sorry, the Durham Region Police. Uh, he claims he was hit by Mr. Shear's tour bus as Shear was leaving the event and is now uh, in custody of Durham Police, uh, was handcuffed at one point. <laughs> which, which reporter is this? <laughs> Take a guess. Which reporter do you think it is? <laughs> Menzoid. I really want it to be <laughs> Okay, just wait. Uh, all very strange. The uh, conservative campaign says he was not accredited as media to this event, and it was not a public event. So if he'd shown up as a member of the public, and it had been a public event, he could have got in. But because he wasn't accredited, uh, he wasn't allowed in. All right. So you think it's the menzoid, and guess what? You're you're completely right. So here here is live live, live from the scene in handcuffs. Did my land arrestor or the gentleman walked out? I think he said so. I don't know what for. It was on a, a public sidewalk, and the bus hit me. And then these guys are, are on. Well, well, I'm just, I'm just. The gentleman wanted me to, to, to answer the question. I'm just trying to answer. <laughs> you're the one holding it. I assume you're law So he's giving like a press briefing to, to like all the press people that are surrounding him while he's staying there. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't make for a good like podcast video, but here's the rest of what he has to say to the reporters. What exactly happened? Why are you handcuffed? Well, I was I was trying to get um, Andrew Shear to answer a question, some questions, such as uh, if he's elected, will he end this uh, media bail? Uh, will he privatize the CBC? What are his? Uh, you know why? Why are we not allowed into a press conference and other members are? Um, these are not gotcha questions. You know these are uh, I think. We're owed an answer to this, especially when we're escorted out. And now look at this guy, uh, handcuffed. So you were escorted out and handcuffed? Uh, no, uh, sir. I, I was originally just uh, brought out by the Durham Regional Police and told not to go on private property. 
even the parking lot, which I abided by. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> David Menzo has been arrested. <laughs> I want to say we've been saying that he's d done some possibly criminal stuff in the past, uh, especially with harassing trans people on the street. And now he's being arrested by Durham police. So it was a stop at a, in Whitby. And I guess he went on the scene when he wasn't allowed to. He got kicked out of the building and he claims he was hit by Shear's bus. But Shear hit him on purpose. <laughs> well, I'm guessing like based on like the, the way they're telling the, the story is that happened earlier or after, like if it happened after Shear was still in the building when he got taken out. Yeah. So I have no clue what happened, who hit who or what. This is, it's all breaking. It's all happening right now. <laughs> The interesting thing is this is probably, my guess is this is going to be all over the news. Uh, well, Rebel Rebel News. I was going to say Rebel Media again, but they had their name changed. Yeah. But this is going to be all over Rebel News, I'm guessing, this week. But since we're uh, recording before the week arrives, I figured I would get this breaking news that he got <laughs> hit by Shears tour bus. Oh my god, what a goof. Before we get into the, the full episode, I also wanted to cover one last thing from our, our previous show which was that we were kind of, I mean, we were critical of Ezra, but we were kind of good in that we were covering the fact that he was being nuanced about blackface, at least to a so certain extent. Weird. But then we realized that, of course, this is a like a money ploy. It's also, he has blackface on a show before. We covered all of that. Yeah. But then on Twitter, he went all out uh, and said some pretty like shitty stuff to some people. So there's one person whose uh, name is uh, Sarbjit Kaur. And she, as far as I can tell, is a liberal strategist of some kind for the okay. Liberal Party. Uh, she's a brown woman. And she had done a clip on some news show that Ezra then captioned. And then he tweeted the video out saying, Uncle Tom's cabin describes the difference between porch slaves and field slaves. This is a porch slave telling the field slaves oh. to pay no mind to the master's racism. They've never had it so good. Trust her, you see. And I just wanted to throw that out there because we were kind of nice to how he was dealing with the nuances. Not nice. We we're actually really critical. But <laughs> we did give him some props. And here he is just uh, being a complete not a racist again. Uh, I don't think... It should need any explaining that you probably shouldn't call brown people who work for someone like Trudeau uh, porch slaves. Yeah. And referring to Trudeau as their master uh, is just pretty much racist. And it like, racist. and he should, yeah. him of all people, should not be the one going around making those kinds of accusations. Sarbjeet Kaur now follows us on Twitter, so I don't oh. think she'll be listening, but hello, Sarbjeet. Hello. We're not voting for your guy, but. Uh, I actually voted today. Well, you did. Yeah, it was exciting. How how is you can even tell our audience how to vote early since you had to do it? Well, um, it was actually completely by accident. Like I wasn't <laughs> planning on voting today. Like you it slipped into the the voting. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I actually was going to get my nails done at Cherry Hill Village Mall. That's in London, Ontario, and they have a little nail salon by the grocery store. So I was gonna go in. You know, just spend an hour doing my nails. And then I said, saw a sign that says you can vote here. And so you just went in. And well, they had a huge sign, like, go vote here. And I was like, I'm going to go There you have it. So, vote. I mean, if you go to Elections Canada, I'm pretty sure they tell you each, like, advanced but polling But it actually says online that it doesn't start till October 11th. 
Okay, so October 11th. So I didn't know that. Like, that's what oh, it, it was advertised as. So I just went in and then I was like, can I vote? And then he was like, yeah, let me bring you to the back. So he brings me to the back. I have to sit down at a desk. This lady asked for a piece of ID. And because I'm a student and have um, my permanent address as my parents' house because I move around so much. Yeah. Um, she was like, I just need a utility bill. I just happened to have one on my phone <laughs> that was electronic, showed her it. She's like, okay, um, we didn't make the ballots yet because it's kind of early. And so here's this white blank piece of paper. Go write what candidate you want on this white sheet of paper <laughs> behind that screen over there. And so I had to walk over the screen, write who I voted, wanted to vote for, or who I voted for, then came up and they put it in like three different envelopes. And then I had to go present it to the office that each envelope was sealed. Yeah. And then I had to sign and date it at the front of the envelope. That sounds so sketch, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't Three tell you that envelopes, you can do it. Yeah, and they yeah. were all like, do you see? The yeah. envelope is sealed. <laughs> now for the second envelope. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like uh, some sort of like Game of Thrones. Like, the writ is sealed. Yeah, it was kind of like <laughs> She that. has cast her vote. Well, actually, no, it was like a bunch of older women were in the office. And then there was like a couple younger and one man. Cherry Cherry Hill Mall, for people who aren't in London, is right where the old people live. It's by a retirement community. <laughs> That's what he means. I'm being um, ageist. I'm sorry. Yeah. And well, no, it was just like it was mostly older women. And they were like really supportive of my whole voting process. They're like looks good next envelope like <laughs> saying that and uh the one lady was saying how she really liked my driver's license picture she's like oh she's gotta give us tips i bet she takes good selfies too like trying to be hip and cool with it so yeah that was my voting process my grandma when she retired uh used to volunteer for elections canada and loved it they all it was liked the most it. Fun. They, they were like she's voting, like i gotta do yeah. my civic duty i'm getting out there i'm helping yeah yeah they were all excited <laughs> and I think I was definitely one of the first people to come in because they were like, oh, how do we do this? Like they were scrambling <laughs> around. That makes me so nervous that the vote wasn't actually casted. But I mean, if they had their, their three envelope system. No, I know it's legitimate. It was just the fact that I got a white sheet of paper and a pencil and they're like, go write the candidate's name because we didn't make a ballot yet. That's crazy. So. Anyway, so go out there, cast your vote. If uh, what Caitlin said is accurate, other places <laughs> probably won't. No, no, I just mean that place. other places won't be open till October 11th. Uh, yeah. But vote! My God! The election's coming up. The actual election date is October 21st, so that's only a couple weeks away. Yeah. But uh, we're going to go right into it. Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. We missed a Friday, September 20th from last week. We actually don't have a Friday episode for this week either. Uh, I don't know if they just didn't post something or if they're again going, they're, they're doing radical changes to their website. So I don't know if something screwed up, but they had no Friday episode this week. But back to the 20th, which we missed because we recorded earlier last week. Basically, Ezra has on this guy named Manny Montenegreno, and they discuss all the ways Trudeau is a big racist. And so he has the six reasons Trudeau is racist, even though I don't even think they get through six. Okay. <laughs> I think I counted there's like four. 
But anyways, I, I wanted to give some background first uh, for this guy named Manny or Emmanuel. He is someone who's been on the show before, but I I didn't really look into him other than that he worked for some sort of uh, uh, PR firm. So for context, Manny got involved with conservative politics way back when Bar- Brian Mulroney, who was prime minister from 1984 until 1993, that's when he uh, started getting involved in politics and joined the conservative party. He then joined the Reform Party, which happened after there was a a split in uh, the Conservative Party. And that's important to note because that means he sided with the far right wing of the party, since Reform was an extremely far right evangelical uh, wing that split from Brian Mulroney. But but here's the other weird thing about him is then he was part of the movement that tried to reunify the Conservative parties after we had John Cretchen as our prime uh, prime minister for a long time. And so eventually they formed back in... uh, 2000. My favorite part of the, the history of this is they first formed as the Canadian Conservative Canadian Conservative Reform Alliance Party, and they eventually scrapped that when they realized that the acronym was crap. <laughs> <laughs> so then now they I think it then went from that to the Alliance Party, and now it's just uh, the Conservative Party of Canada. That- <laughs> Why? Sorry, like, that just suck, sunk in for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, why? Like, I mean, because I think what happened was they were called the Canadian Conservative Reform Alliance. And they didn't realize that everyone would refer to them as the Canadian Conservative Re- uh, Reform Alliance Party. Yeah. They didn't think of throwing the party, party at the party. end of it. Yeah. So then when it started happening, everyone started calling them the crap party. And that's... <laughs> That's when they changed their name. He then uh, became the lawyer for uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. He was the lawyer for Stephen Harper only in the sense that he was helping him deal with a case that started when Stephen Harper was the leader of the opposition. So I guess something happened with a chef and he was being a... Because I guess you get a chef when... (laughs) A personal chef when you're the leader of the opposition. Didn't know this, but apparently you have your own residence, much Mm -hmm. like the Prime Minister has their own residence and... uh, yeah, so something happened between Harper and the chef. I didn't look into it that much. And he was, Manny was representing uh, Harper. He also represented several other conservative members of parliament, uh, including Brent Baird, uh, Brett Baird, who was a, a pretty big name. I think he was the Minister of Transportation. And uh, Pierre Polyver, who's a Quebec MP. And this became an issue because in 2008, Manny was also registered as a lobbyist for several companies. Although Harper, Baird... Uh, and Polyver have denied any wrongdoing. So part of the issue is like you can't law you can't both represent a member of parliament and lobby them at the same time. And there's like legislation against that. And so the trick is he was working for them as a lawyer, but you don't know if any time they were hanging out in their capacity as I'm a lawyer, I'm working for you, but I also work for this mining company. Do you want to hear me out? Kind of thing, right? Mm. And so it became a big scandal at the time. Shortly after that as well, around 2008, Manny was also found guilty of professional misconduct by the Law Society of Upper Canada for billing work that he did not perform. And he claims that this happened because his secretary uh, had cancer and he didn't want to replace her. So he sent some of the duties off to someone else who worked in the office who then estimated on some things and screwed up. Anyways, he came up with some like elaborate story and claims that that's why it happened, but he was still uh, found guilty of professional misconduct and oh. fined for that. And now 
That all being said, he now runs his own lobbying firm where he engages in what he calls on his website corporate crisis management, and he has been a regular on Rebel News. Manny is actually a strong vocal uh, critic of the PPC because he thinks they're going to split the the vote, which is kind of ironic given that uh, his involvement with the Reform Party, but he was also part of the thing to try to bring them back together. Uh, So anyways, I found a lot of PPC blogs written by PPC supporters that like hate this Manny guy. So I wonder how they feel about like, since they tend to like Rebel and here's Rebel platforming someone that they they don't like at all. But I also wanted to tell the story because Manny seems to me to be this guy who no one else would take him. (laughs) You know, he's someone who has uh, quasi broken the law and also did some sort of like quasi unethical things with being a lobbyist and a representative of of conservative politicians. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of people I'm going to, one of the theme of this episode is like some of these weird people that he, uh, that uh, Ezra has as guests on the show are these people with these like odd backgrounds, a kind of scandals. Cause you, you could find conservative people out there who, are squeaky clean that are just like yeah i just don't like taxes yeah yeah, that's true <laughs> but it's like weird that like all these people seem to be the types that have gone like they're fucking horrible yeah yeah, people. yeah. you said it <laughs> <laughs> trying to be a little bit more diplomatic but fucking terrible that's good i don't think this podcast is for diplomacy <laughs> getting back to it they're gonna go through their six reasons trudeau is a racist and the first thing they play is uh, a town hall event that Trudeau participated in. So we're going to play part of the the clip that they play that they claim Trudeau is being racist. And this is the only of the four, not six, but they say six <laughs> episodes of racism that I'm really going to highlight or at least play clips from because it's the one that's like so clearly uh, wrong and misquoted. So, okay. But here's the clip of Trudeau that they play. I want to know how uh, you're how your stance on ISIS is going to help Canadians in any way. I need, I need to know how you're going to protect future Canadians, like my young daughter, and you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, when you're letting people in with an ideology that just does not conform to what we're doing here. So, you know, I'd really like to know what your take on things. Uh, absolutely. Now, before Justin gets to his answer, I just remembered this as well, and I don't have it <laughs> in uh, the later clips I'm going to play, is that this questioner... First, Trudeau's looking around, and it goes, you there with the red hat. And then he goes, oh, no, that's not the red hat I think it is. Yes, it is, but we're going to let you speak anyways. And the audience laughed, and then the guy asked his question, right? So I want to say somewhat kudos to Trudeau for realizing that this was going to be somebody with, with a MAGA hat in the crowd who's going to ask a tough question. And it's in Edmonton, Alberta. So. Oh, no. <laughs> and the of course, worst. what the guy basically asked is, how are you letting all these ISIS people into the country? And this is... It just means, how are you letting all those Muslims into this country? No, I think that's... Um, gives me an opportunity to talk about, about uh, first of all, the fact that One of the reasons Canada is successful as a country uh, is because we have been open to people fleeing persecution, fleeing uh, war zones, uh, looking for a better life for themselves and their kids. That's been the story of this country from uh, the time the first uh, European settlers came to be received by indigenous people. People were uh, fleeing conflict, poverty, uh, difficult situations, 
uh, and came to Canada to build a better life for themselves. And successive waves of people have in every different time, every different wave. And when we uh, welcomed in uh, waves of refugees, whether it was the Ismaili refugees in the early 70s, whether it was the Vietnamese boat people uh, in the early 80s, whether it was uh, people set, fleeing the devastation of uh, the Second World War uh, from Southern Europe in the 50s and 60s, the Italian communities, the Greek communities, the, the, the Portuguese communities and others, uh, our country is so much the better for it. So before we let Ezra and Manny describe what was racist about that clip, what do you think was the thing that they're going to highlight that Trudeau was racist for saying. I mean, and here's I the thing. I feel like, like they're going to twist it somehow to be like, because <laughs> he's letting in all these immigrants from all these different backgrounds, it's oppressing other people. No, I mean, that's a good, that's a good spin. But I, I will say too, it's like, we don't, I think Trudeau is waxing philosophical and being like hopey, changey, but Again, he needs to get rid of the safe third country agreement, and he's done other things that are terrible for uh, immigration. So even though yeah. I'm going to yeah. take the shit out <laughs> or uh, yeah. criticize Rebel for the crap that they're doing here, this doesn't mean that I endorse uh, Trudeau and his message. Although here his message is pretty much just, yeah, we let immigrants in, and that's a yeah. hopey message, and like, why not? But here's, here's what they think is the racism. He was actually comparing returning terrorists to just European immigrants, like natural immigrants of the 50s. Natural <laughs> immigrants. <laughs> natural immigrants of the 50s. So like natural the Natural immigrants, the so... natural ones, <laughs> the ones that came from nature. We grow our immigrants in this country. So notice all Trudeau has said so far in that clip was, we're a country that opens our doors to immigrants. He hasn't mentioned ISIS in that whole clip. No, I know. And he mentioned Italians. So Manny's an Italian. Uh, oh, did you feel Trudeau was racist to Italians there? Um, <laughs> as a freshly grown natural <laughs> yeah, immigrant. Yeah, a na natural immigrant from the 50s. <laughs> Where they grew us in the crops. Uh, no, I am not offended. Well, it's not insane. It's racist because what he sees is a bunch of different colored people and put them all together. And they're kind of all the same. Well, we're not. I mean, my father immigrated this. I just want to highlight there saying that all immigrants are not the same could be trivially true. But it could also be racist in what Manny just said here. If what you're saying is there's something essential about brown people that makes them terrorists. Well, there and is, therefore they're different than us natural I'm Italians. I'm more concerned that he feels like he's a person of color and he grouped himself in there. <laughs> That's what I'm a little concerned about because last time I checked, I'm pretty white. So, Well, I mean, Italians weren't always white. We can the, go on about the history, but... I, I mean, mean, whiteness is an artificial construct, but it, it is, is interesting that he We is, can get yeah. into the whole lecture of the social construction of race and have a whole debate on this and why I think 23andMe and Ancestry.com are bullshit. But, uh... I'm just saying, so here's... It's just funny that he's like, I am on the same level of oppression and yeah. inequality <laughs> as... The, racial ethno ethno racial minorities that are immigrants i want to be fair to manny i don't know if he's going to say it in the rest of the clip that i have but i do want to say that he touched on this in part of this episode that in his early days when he was working in construction he received a lot of racism oh did he and i well <laughs> i imagine that that's true did he I, really well i mean i can ex in in the sense of uh the history of italian racism how old is he 
He's got to be like close to eighty. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> maybe I not. Was expecting I mean, like, being, like it, like my dad's age or something. He would have been in his twenties in like the seventies. So what would that? Twenties. Yeah, because that's like around when he started getting into. Anyways, I don't know his age. What, was he called up, like but... a WAP a couple of times, and he's like, "Oh, they're out to get me." I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I've been economically all, all he's and said... <laughs> systematically discriminated in this country. Yeah, all I will say saying. is that he he just says that he experienced some stuff. Country, we had to borrow money to uh, to get to this country. We did it legally. We actually followed all the rules, and it just broke my heart to be compared to uh, uh, to ISIS. Well, because we're all from somewhere else, mm. and we all came here. But you know what? So therefore, we're all this. No, I have to mention this because this is the same clip that Stephen Lache, who's a conservative MPP for the King Von riding, my MPP, fucking unfortunately, <laughs> he played this clip and said the exact same thing that they're saying right now. And I was so enraged by it because it's not the same thing. Like, you, like, we can go over the whole history of Italian immigrants, but he said the exact same thing. I'm disgusted. My parents immigrated here, and how dare he compare my family who came here and had to go through so much poverty and hard comings. And we did it all through all the right ways. Stephen Lechek, exact same words as this guy saying all over Twitter. You can go and, Yeah, up. and the thing that annoys me about that, too, is it implies that nobody back then did anything... To circumnavigate certain Oh, my structures. family definitely did. <clears throat> I'll be right honest right here. Italians didn't do things all illegal. We aren't naturally grown in this country. Um, well, no, but you, but to just get into the country, like I'm sure there was people who uh, weren't allowed in, but you wanted your relatives in, so you got them. I mean, so this idea of, that somehow yeah. the immigrants from the past did everything by the book and no, we didn't. were the ones who worked hard. 110%. I have no proof that that didn't happen I and i'm not saying this to say like boo to immigrants i'm saying i don't really care if you did things illegally get your ass into our country. okay but there is care. something that i do need to point out and you can still feel inequality for being an immigrant but not because you're a racialized immigrant yeah. so what he's actually talking about here is the sh the hard comings of being an immigrant and you can be a white immigrant from like the uk and still feel feel the difficulties and feel barriers and disadvantages compared to someone who grew up in Canada their whole life. Yeah. And that's fair to say, but to say that you're racially discriminated or you're like ethnically discriminated by, like as if you're a completely different race compared to majority of Canadians is just inaccurate because those that are coming over that do have different um, skin complexions, different uh, physical features than most white people experience a double yes. stereotyping they face double the inequality and there's definitely intersections within immigrants and it's just like uh so annoying <laughs> when italian people say stuff like that so yeah. so we're gonna let manny and ezra finish it off and then we'll see why they're complete idiots same i mean that is just so offensive uh, i mean i've had italian friends greek friends come up to me and you know we're just dismayed by that by that comment and that's just Part of the what I gather the evidence oh, man, or the pattern to show some bigger. We, we, we oh, sorry, go ahead. Ezra. I was going to say. <laughs> I want to say we kind of missed it, but he said bigotry as burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just thought that was funny.
People who object to ISIS terrorists, they're not objecting to an ethnicity. They're objecting right. to the fact that they murdered people. And he's comparing that legitimate fear and objection to real terrorists returning from a field of battle to uh, inappropriate prejudice against people from Italy or Greece. So he's the one who's comparing not just terrorists, but people's reactions to terrorists. He's actually saying, oh, if you object to terrorists, you know better than someone who objects to Italians. So let me no, ask you a question. he didn't say that. <laughs> no, he didn't say that at all. But so here's, here's the question that I want to ask you is that what does he have to say to make Ezra and Manny completely full of shit here? Uh, actually, they almost exposed how fucking racist they are because they basically just went in a roundabout circle to say, like, we just don't want immigrants into this country. Like, that's what they basically did. They're saying we like the old immigrants because they're white and European. And they weren't all terrorists. Yeah. And they did things legally and they assimilated to our culture and our ways of life. Like, I don't know if you know many Italians, but none of them are assimilated. They go into ethnic enclaves and they speak Italian and they. But that also enriches our culture. That's that OK. Yeah. But don't fucking say that we don't do that. That's what annoys me. <laughs> no, exactly. So here's here's the, the full clip of Trudeau that they cut out. Well, not the full clip. I basically added the section at the end that really proves that what they said was just utter nonsense. Well, we welcome 40,000 Syrian refugees fleeing war-torn areas, looking for a better life. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't my choice to do that. I didn't bring them over. Canadians brought them over. People opened up their homes. Cities like Edmonton showed themselves to be tremendously generous. Provinces stepped up, community groups, church groups stepped up. There was a welcoming of people because there was a recognition that yes, these people were fleeing ISIS, trying to get away from terrorism, trying to build a better life for their kids. And that is the story of this country. Their argument was that Trudeau compared Italian immigrants from the 50s to ISIS. And here it is clear, if you just listen to the rest of the clip, Trudeau was differentiating that group of people, all the immigrants they felt, including the Syrians, because they're not ISIS. And then furthermore, he goes on to say this. Obviously, obviously, as an open and safe country, we have to make sure that we are taking security very seriously. And the security checks that were gone through uh, before people came here, the way they are followed up on, uh, if necessary, in certain cases, the way we ensure that we are keeping our communities safe happens not through you know, building walls or thickening borders, metaphorically. Uh, it happens uh, through uh, engaging and giving people pathways to success. It comes through uh, integration and uh, language training and skills training. It comes through our wonderful high schools and public education that allows for kids of all different backgrounds to learn from each other, to grow together, and to work together to build stronger communities. That has been the story of Canada. And it is not one that is in contrast with creating a safer community for your daughter, for our neighbors, for anyone. Pretty good speech, though. And I mean, ones. like, yeah, and part of me is like, I, I'm for certain types of integration. It depends on how you spell that out. Yeah. Because I don't want to, like, say, force people to, to do certain activities. 
Uh, but I get the sense of we want to make sure that we're open and uh, an open community for these people that that come over. But that like he basically just said everything that they said he wasn't saying. He yeah. talked about how we don't want to let an ISIS. In fact, we want to increase safety to make sure we're not letting ISIS into the thing or into the, like our country. And then we want to make sure ensure integration, which is everything that they're saying that he doesn't want to do. And they just left it out. And yet they still call him a racist. This is the one thing that is frustrating about this show is that's like the one move that they do almost every single episode yeah. is they'll like say that he did something racist and play you this like small edited clip so you get none of the context and then go on this rant about how he's a, a terrible human being. And here's the thing is you don't have to do that to Trudeau. The guy wore blackface. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's true. The guy is a shitty person. And, like, I don't want him to be our prime minister. But, like, you don't have to take him out of context. Just point out all the, like, bad shit no, that he does. Sure, yeah. The other things that they, the other uh, three, well, I guess maybe there was four items. Anyways, it wasn't six. He talks about, uh, apparently, Trudeau mixed up uh, Chinese and Japanese people. So, I guess he was the, the uh, is it the prime minister of Japan? was visiting and he accidentally referred to him as uh, the leader of China and certain things like that. And I might want to say, okay, maybe there's some racism in there. Okay. You get one. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other is the dressing up when uh, he went over to India and I'm like, okay, there's some racism there. The other one that was really racist was he told indigenous leaders that they're basically doing a bad job helping out indigenous kids because the indigenous leaders wanted to open community centers. And he's like, what the kids, this is what Trudeau said. He's like, what the native kids really want yeah. is a place for their canoes and paddles. Uh, so, oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, that is a, a pretty racist uh, thing to say. The other is, is one where apparently uh, a member of his party, he yelled at them when she didn't defend him. And she was a black member of his party. I'm willing to say all those examples are racist. Why they had to lead off with <laughs> the one example that's not racist is just beyond me. And why would you set up this six when you clearly, uh, I think I counted five. So there was five instances of, of racism. They tried. The other uh, weird thing about this episode is they end it by sort of like speculating and making predictions. So they were like, we speculate by the end of... Uh, this election, there's going to be more sexual misconduct allegations that are going to uh, come out. And okay. there's no way of like knowing this, but hey, they made a prediction. So this will be something that I'll check in when the election's done. <laughs> if any sexual misconduct allegations don't come out. But we're going to start like our official week here. So this was Monday the 23rd. And there really is nothing to talk about here. They basically Parker. spend the first half of the episode going blackface and talking about blackface the whole yeah, time. Yeah. And we already covered it. Yeah. Then he gets uh, Andrew Lawton on as a guest. And the whole piece is basically, they won't let me into liberal events. So apparently, Andrew Lawton, so we've told this before, he's the guy who said a bunch of racist and homophobic stuff and ran in uh, London for the provincial elections. He apparently is trying to cover the liberal campaign and they wouldn't let him into any events. So he started following their tour bus. And he claims that the police pulled him over, <laughs> suspecting that he was, like, going to do some nefarious stuff because he was following the tour bus everywhere. Uh, and yes, and so they, they go on a huge rant about how his freedom of speech was utterly ruined and destroyed. This poor guy, poor, 
poor white racist dude was pulled over by the cops. The interesting thing is he then, Andrew Lawton, uh, then attended an NDP event and was let in and was like very happy about this on Twitter and was very conciliatory towards the NDP. very supportive. And part of me, the, the cynical part of me, is that they're do they're realizing that one way to to make the Liberal Party lose is to split the vote. So they're trying to be, hey, look, the NDP is not that bad to try to like siphon votes. But the other part of me is just like he's just happy somebody let him into something. <laughs> so it's like it's either like a personal ego. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he couldn't even like get the facts straight with his um, mental health, right? Like he couldn't even put it in the right year. Yeah, yeah. Right. That was the excuse he used for yeah. saying the racist comments. I said racist things because at that specific time, I was no, 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 it was homophobic. Oh, I mean, he has said racist things too, but if yeah. you know, when you gotta have justifications for one of your <laughs> hateful things you say, so then we move on to Tuesday, the the twenty fourth. Pretty much the the beginning segment is just uh, Ezra going, "Look at the polls. No one likes Trudeau." And that was that was the whole segment. <laughs> and like, I want to say that uh, Jagmeet Singh seems to be rising a lot in how the country views him as a leader. Yeah. But sadly, this isn't reflecting in the NDP increasing as a party in terms of votes. I mean, we the oh, I say we I am technically a card carrying member of the party, but the the NDP has shifted up slightly. I think as it stands right now, the Liberals are still favored to winning a majority. Which is interesting out of everything that has happened. <laughs> like is uh the Canada three three eight uh puts liberal the Liberal Party with a sixty seven percent chance at winning a majority. If the election was held today. So the second half of the show on the twenty fourth, they had someone on named Prem Singh, and they interviewed her because apparently Trump met with the Prime Minister of India, uh Modi. Oh. Yeah. And Prim, and so I guess they were like, we need to get uh, an Indian person that we know on the show. So, <laughs> so they get Prim. Okay. And she's an interesting figure because she came to prominence after the NDP won in Alberta. Okay. And she be- began a campaign that was called Alberta Can't Wait. And what the campaign was for was to argue that, as we've said on the show before, the NDP won in Alberta because the conservative votes split uh you had this party called the wild rose party that left the conservative yeah. progressive conservatives and it split the vote and that's how a far the farther left party won in alberta even though alberta as a whole is like radically far right <laughs> uh so like, the like texas of canada yes yeah. that's well some yeah. of the southern states in general yeah i don't know if you can just i mean the texan because they like to ride their texas. bulls and cows and it's all that the texas stuff. of canada that's, well said. That's the phrase. <laughs> sorry to any of our Texas listeners, although maybe not sorry. Maybe you're aware of, maybe you're just solely in Austin and are aware of. Apparently Austin's really cool. If I had to go anywhere in Texas, I would totally go for Austin. So basically she formed this thing trying to get the two parties back together. The, in, the, the interesting part of this is that she did not register as a third party, which is what you're supposed to do. And so because of that, it's not clear who funded the group and you can't find any of that information. And they were fined $1,000 because of this, mm-hmm. which is really $1,000. Like, <laughs> seems like such a, a petty fine for something when you're a third party candidate getting money from possibly outside the province. 
And we do know that they spent over $15,000 on advertisements, so they were getting uh, a substantial amount of money. Hmm. And this was particularly a problem during the leadership race. So it would be one thing if you were just some sort of uh, non-affiliated party putting up ads for something. But they were backing a particular candidate in the leadership race in the PCs. Yeah. And they were backing Kenny, who was the sole candidate running that wanted to unite the party. And he won, united the party, and they won in Alberta, right? Yeah. The other thing that's interesting about Prim, and is possibly unrelated to things, but it's interesting nonetheless, and I thought I would share it, which is that in 2009, she was found uh, to have taken a loan from a loan shark uh, to the tune of $150,000. Oh, okay. That loan shark, the only reason we know about this is because that loan shark was uh, found guilty and is now spending five and a half years in prison and is forced to pay $1.5 million in fines. And it's not clear why she took the money. Apparently, she was able to pay the loan shark back. And I, I was curious. I looked into it. And again, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the ins and outs. But I don't think it's illegal to actually take money from a loan shark. But it definitely is illegal to be a loan shark. So I don't know, okay. if, she, I don't know if she did anything wrong. But the issue is that a lot of people go to a loan shark because they can't legally get a loan from a bank, which often means they want that money for nefarious purposes, right? Or yeah. to... to circumnavigate some sort of legal structure to get it so it makes you think who is this person yeah, <laughs> what yeah. is she doing and again i just wanted to highlight these things because we're not gonna the the actual conversation she had with ezra there was like nothing there they basically were like trudeau's terrible with modi trump's awesome with modi and isn't modi great and what? i just want to say that modi is not great he's uh, a hindu nationalist right but ezra is a and- nationalist Right. Yeah, but people in India don't like him. I'm pretty sure he like hacked his own entire election. Possibly. I like, don't know enough about the Indian politics. Oh, yeah, yeah. No one likes him. Well, I know that he's a nationalist. I don't like him. He's uh, horrible. Yeah. But, but you can see this thinking. I mean, this is the same thinking of why Ezra loves Trump so much. Because Trump is a nationalist. Mm-hmm. And he has this idea. I don't think I clipped it. But he really likes this idea of like every country being a nationalist country. And so it's like, we're against the globalists, but we like it when every country is nationalist like we are, kind of thing. That's that's the kind of vision. It's the same vision of your uh, Steve Bannons and stuff like this, which is why they all look positively on Bolsonaro, Modi, Trump. These are all their candidates. They wanted Marie Le Pen to win. They love Boris Johnson in the UK. Because these are your, your nationalist guys that are anti-globalists. And... Uh, how can you be anti-globalist if majority of your capital is... Like, globalization is really just a movement of capital and services across borders. It's not right. actually, like, an ideological... What would be ideological about globalization is the expansion of neoliberal principles that come with globalization. What they're really getting at is they just are fucking horrible people that are fucking racist... The same contradiction existed within the sort of nationalist movements in the early 1900s, right? I mean, something like the Nazi party, they began, I mean, they're nationalist socialists. Now, in the end of the, their like time when Hitler took over, they started uh, foregoing a lot of their socialist uh, platforms, mm-hmm. but they did start off as being a social, uh, like a nationalist party that wanted to help people. But the idea was like, we want to help the the true essential Germans at the exclusion of everyone else. Yeah. And those are the same kind of things that Trump ran on. Like not to make the 
Trump Nazi comparison here. You could do it. You could do it. But there's this idea of like what he ran on was like, we need to make Americans feel good. You know, true, full-blooded, we walked straight off that Mayflower Americans. Oh, he means white men. Right. And we want to make sure that they're good. And therefore, so we're nationalists in that sense. And I will give you, because what did he run? He was like, healthcare is going to be absolutely free. Like he said that. He obviously didn't have a policy platform there. But, a little disappointing. Yeah, he but he did make those appeals. Yeah, so and bringing jobs back to America. That was the big thing. Bringing yeah. jobs back to America to make America great again and not having this outsourcing bullshit that half of his own products are actually outsourced from Bangladesh. In fact, he had them, I think, in um, oh somewhere in the South America. I can't remember. I think maybe Costa Rica or Puerto Rico. Um, and was like, wow, that's too expensive. Let's go to Bangladesh for cheaper products yeah. with his company before he ever ran. So that's what, that's the like, oh, that's well, just but the he's, but he's with everything. Yeah, he's a contradiction. But the but the followers, the authoritarians that he appeals to, yeah, they just hear the things that Ezra they want to hear. Does Ezra not buy things from, like, No, Ezra's he, like Trump. He would need to buy only Canadian-made products then to like really be in line with that ideology that he has. Ezra's like he Trump. He wouldn't want to buy products that are made cheaply from like Chinese people that made it cheap that like took jobs away from good old Canadian. Yeah, but Ezra's a grifter. I mean, like, so he he's uh, going to appeal to the things that you want, but again, he just wants you to sign his petition. Sure, but now I'm just trying to lay out like <laughs> why this is such a huge contradiction because globalization is this. That's yeah. what globalization is. Globalization is a process. It is not an ideology. No, and, and it's a it's a physical Rebel process. News, as sad as Ugh. it is, is a global empire, <laughs> not empire, because I don't think no, 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 no. But, but it he does owns have a globalizing element UK. because yeah. it's not a completely centralized right business. It is a little decentralized, and on top of it, it does spread news to other parts of the world. It's moving information and knowledge, which is capital in itself, around <laughs> to other countries. You're you're into globalization, Ezra. You're a globalist. You're a globalist, Ezra. <laughs> You're one of them. Ezra starts off September 25th with something that he's still mad about. So what do you think he's still mad about? What is he still mad about? Um, is he still mad about the media party? Well, I mean, he's always mad about the media <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I David Menzies just got arrested because <laughs> the, media party. the media party wouldn't let him in. Okay, so that's off the table. Um, you know, I'm still mad about that turkey story in southern Alberta. <laughs> Is this the farming one? The turkey story, man. He's still, still mad about it. Which turkey story? The one where, so... The farming one, That's right? the one where he, he fantasized about killing, killing the protesters. Yeah, that's what I thought, okay. Still mad about it. Now, he, nothing happens from him. He's just like, he just wants you to know. He is still mad about that turkey farm. He kind of like connects this to this other story and i just thought this story was ridiculous so we'll go into a bit of detail with it there's this individual in the states i don't know if you heard this story about carson king who he went viral because he was this uh uh, a young adult at an iowa university and he had a sign saying that his bush light reserves have like run dry and he's looking to replenish them and has like a thing for venmo so people could like 
afford the money. And apparently this went viral and a couple people like donated to his things. Ha ha ha. And then uh, Einhauser Bush uh, found out about this and gave him like uh, a year's supply of uh, uh, Bush light. And then it blew up from there. And so a ton of people were donating to his Venmo and he made close to over like a million dollars. So he then was going to donate it to this children's hospital at the university. And he was going to, and then Einheiser Bush was going to like chip in and like match some of the funds. So this children's hospital is going to get a, a crap ton of money. And because of all this like uh, stuff that happened, there was this piece that was written about him, uh, a sort of spotlight on uh, Carson King, written in the Des Moines Register. And in the process of this article, at the very end of the article when you read it, there's a small paragraph that mentions that Carson King had made some racist tweets in the past. These racist tweets were made when he was 16. What happened from that is basically, so the money, all that money there is still going to go to the hospital. Yeah. Carson King apologizes, say, says that he's sick about the things that he wrote about on Twitter when he was 16. I guess this this part of the story isn't that clear to me, but Anheuser Bush basically said that they're no longer going to have a relationship with him in the future. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means they reneged on the uh, <laughs> user of the beer or, or what it is. But anyways, I, I frame all this and I haven't told you what the tweets say. And this is one thing that Ezra doesn't explicitly tell you what he said in the tweets either. And part of me initially wants to say, okay, this was a 16-year-old kid. But then the other part of me goes, I didn't have these thoughts when I was a 16-year-old kid. Like, how, if I were to ask you, is there is there like a limit for you of like how racist something has to be when you're 16 for it to like... Yes. <laughs> what do you, so do you, you have a limit there? Like where, when would you say like, ah, that's just you fooling around. I'm going to be more forgiving. Because part of me wants to be like a lot more forgiving. Like I, I don't think that Anheuser Busch shouldn't give this guy a year's worth of beer. Like whatever, I don't care about that. Give him the year's worth of yeah, beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he he was 16 and he has apologized. Sure, I'm willing. He's not a public figure. He's not your prime minister of Canada. <laughs> so I, I'm more willing to just be lenient. I don't know. Do you do you have like some sort of guess of just like? Maybe like calling out a lynching would probably be a really, a really bad tweet. But like maybe if you just like use the N-word, like where's your sort of like threshold of like, no, that was a really racist tweet at 16. I mean, Twitter wasn't big when I was 16, so that's a thing. But um, well, I think this for him is only a couple years because I think he's 24 right now. Oh, my age. Yeah. Oh. So, so this 16. is something that you did when you were 16 on Twitter. Okay, so anything that enacts, I think, violence towards cer certain groups of people would definitely be a threshold. Um, I used to have, I remember, like, when I was 16, a lot of friends would use, like, the N-word for song lyrics on Facebook. Like, they'd put their Facebook status, but it would be, like, from a song. And I even kind of thought that was weird and kind of, like, even though it was a yeah. song, I kind of felt like, eh. Um, I had friends that would sing songs with the N-word a lot of times in it. I think purposely just to say the N-word. I mean, to be honest, I'm guilty of that too because I was a stupid 16-year-old. No, exactly. Um, 
But I think, like, where I'd be like, yeah, that's absolutely horrible is anything that's, like, violent towards a group. Not even violent, but is, like, wishing, like, negative... So it's not, so it's not wishing violence against someone. Or, like, not, or not even, like, violence, but, like, ne- like, a negative outcome on a certain person. Like, I hate this group of people. I hope they fucking, you know... Yeah. So th- they, aren't, they aren't that like, level. But there's yeah. some, like medium to what we're discussing okay. so the one tweet apparently so here's the other thing is we don't actually have the, the tweets themselves because once the reporter brought this to the attention of carson uh carson deleted, deleted the tweets but what we have is the reporting of them and we have carson admitting to these are the tweets uh one of them was comparing black people to gorillas yeah that's pretty bad and the other had something to do with black people in the holocaust don't know exactly what it was saying, but it had to do with black people in the Holocaust. I want to, I want that put those thoughts into your head because Ezra's going to make some hint to it, but he's going to avoid addressing the stuff that Carson did. So he's 24, Carson King, and eight years ago, when he was a high schooler, what's that, grade 10? He made some dumb jokes, and so he's humiliated now. But did you hear the language in that breaking news report? Some dumb joke that a dumb teenager told recently surfaced. It just surfaced. Look at that passive language. Surfaced. No, of course, it, it didn't surface. It was, it was mined. It was hunted. It was trolled. It was creeped. Carson King was investigated for making bad jokes in, in high school. Someone did deep opposition research on him, more than was done to vet Justin Trudeau in the 2015 Canadian election, I might add. (laughs) Trudeau went full racist in blackface, not when he was 16, though, when he was 29, and a teacher in school, not a high school student himself. When he was in his 20s in college, he also put on a blackface and a wig, and he made ape gestures. Pretty sure that's comparing black people to apes. He did this in his teens. He did this in his twenties. Like like, no, he didn't. Bring it back to Justin Trudeau. Like, yeah, I mean, and like <laughs> you could tell there, like he not once tells you exactly what Carson King wrote, but that was like the one subtle hint where it's like ape gestures. So even Trudeau is bad. I don't want to go through that sort of like nuance because I'm I'm fully capable of acknowledging that a Iowan or Iowan sixteen year old was probably racist, just as. 29-year-old Justin Trudeau is racist, and I'm cool with that, and the nuances of the apology, but it's just like his... He can be so nuanced about how Trudeau is racist for doing the blackface, because it's his political opponent. But when some right-wing, probably right-wing, because he's in Iowa, uh, teenager did something, that's your base. You gotta now just protect him at all costs. And that, and like this became like a huge right-wing story, apparently. When I tried to research this, Every single article written was in like the Post Millennial, uh, the Daily Caller. Oh my god! Uh, pretty much any right wing news source was covering this uh, story, and no, like no one else cared. Like it wasn't that big a deal. And like, if you want to talk about cancel culture, because this is how like the right wing always phrases it: "This kid's been canceled." The kid hasn't been canceled. I mean, he was just given a year's worth of free. Wasn't he given like a million dollars of donations? No, and he's still going to be at university. He's not. And that he was going to donate to a children's hospital, which is nice. Like, I like that concept. Like, not what only... he was doing was a good thing. But like, what? Why would? Why did he get any of that? Because he's a white guy that stood in. Like, right. 
And here's the thing is the governor of Iowa, even after the racist tweet thing uh, broke, celebrated him and held like a day in his honor or something like that. What? For what? Uh, what for donating do? like over a million dollars to charity. I mean, I guess that's nice, but it's right. not like he like went around door knocking asking for donations. No, I mean, he had a joke to... that went viral. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like what even that like doesn't bother like. It doesn't bother me to both celebrate the fact that he no, donated. Not celebrate. It does bother me because no, here's like, what I'm I saying. get celebrated way too much. <laughs> no, I could agree with that. I'm yeah. just saying it doesn't bother for me to both, to both be like, that was a nice thing that he did for donating that money. But then also saying, but we can also acknowledge the fact that there's a problem when you have 16-year-olds saying racist <laughs> shit on Twitter. Yeah. Right? Like, to me, it's like those are both uh, equally good discussions. As late as 29 Pretty sure it didn't stop there. We didn't know about Trudeau until a week ago, but Carson King raises, what was that final figure according to the report? 1.4 million bucks for charity. And every tweet he ever tweeted when he was 16, was it grade 10, was dug up. I mean, there's the other like weird thing about that, which is just the logistics of that. It's much easier just as a reporter to type in like, yeah black people in the Twitter yeah. than it is for you to know that Justin Trudeau wore blackface at a, in a yearbook that, of a that private... That you might not uh, have access to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the other thing is like all this stuff is like stuff that Ezra does all the time. Like finding out that that one Alberta politician was a communist and then just like... Oh, ripping really? out. Yeah, exactly. So it's like that's like you find out that someone was a communist in university their life should be ruined and... Uh, <laughs> you should stalk them on the streets and uh, harass them. But when a 16-year-old does a racist tweet, that's where you have to draw the line. Uh, but yeah, he's more of a hypocrite, so I, I have some more Ezra being a hypocrite here. On Monday evening, Register reporter Aaron Calvin was assigned to interview King for a profile. On Tuesday, as he worked to write the story, he did a, get this, get this, get this, get this. He did a routine background check on King that included a review of publicly visible social media posts, a standard part of a reporter's work on a profile. Calvin found two racist jokes that King had posted on Twitter in 2012. Calvin asked King about them, and he expressed deep regret. Is it indeed a routine background check to creep through a 24-year-old man's teenage tweets? Is that really Routine for a profile story on a beer drinker? Is that a background check? What does that mean to do a background check? W were they hiring this guy to work in a bank or something? I know a little bit about Twitter. I tweet more than the average guy. These tweets, two jokes Carson King wrote almost a decade ago, they were actively searched for, as in the reporter started typing in keywords into a search, every swear, every epithet he could find into a search engine to find them. This wasn't a routine background check. That's what police do when they pull you over. They check for outstanding warrants or unpaid tickets. That's what a routine background check is. Searching a teenager's jokes from almost a decade ago, looking for specific mean words, that's not routine. That's just gross. 
anything to destroy a good man. Here's how this self-serving editor ended her excuseology in the Des Moines Register. Eventually, Register editors decided we would include the information, but at the bottom of the story, we thought we should be transparent about what we had found, but not highlighted at the top of the story or as a separate story. It was planned as a few paragraphs towards the bottom of the profile. Hi, guys. That's how they set it up, or how Ezra sets this up with this Aaron Calvin uh, individual. And I want to highlight that the piece actually is very uh, celebratory to Carson King. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not, it's literally, and as Ezra describes it, it's literally at the bottom of the article. It just yeah. mentioned that in this background check, we found these things, we talked to King and he apologized for them and said he was sick for the words that he said. They don't even include the tweet. Again, they just have those uh, compared black people to gorilla and black people having to do with the Holocaust. Right. And they just sort of like leave it at that. And even Aaron Calvin said, like, it's not his place to, like, crucify the person or, like, make them out to a bad, be a bad person. Yeah. It's just that he found these tweets and thought that it's uh, he, he would ask uh, Calvin about them, considering his new popularity in the media. And, and part of me goes, like, maybe, maybe it's weird that he did this search, but apparently that was part of what the... Uh, the news organization tells the reporters to do. Apparently the Des Moines Register has that uh, stipulated uh, according to Calvin, but also it could have just been. Eh. So here's the thing. We're going to get a lot of like looks bashing from Ezra about this Aaron Calvin person in a yeah. second. But if I looked at this person, I would say he looks kind of hipsterish. Yeah. And part of me goes, he was probably someone who, a little bit more on the woke side and was like, I bet you this white dude <laughs> drinks beer on a, on a college campus probably has some racism in his past. Yeah. And my guess is a lot of college white dudes have some racism in his past. Yeah, and like yeah, part of, of me goes, that's something that we, we might want to talk about because Calvin wrote this piece. A lot of people dug up tweets that Calvin had made. Okay. Most of these were, were done when Calvin was 18. Okay. So again, teenager. Calvin himself is only 27. So here's the other thing is the way Ezra is describing this thing sounds like this old man working at a newspaper. Yeah. Like through this young kid under a bus when really they're separated by three years of age. When Calvin was 18, just close to around when the other dude was 16 writing yeah. these tweets, uh, he had done and said some uh, risque things on Twitter, I shall say. One of them was using the N-word how you framed it earlier. The way he did it was he would he would say something like the N word, please, you know, with mm -hmm. an A instead of the, the ER on a tweet referring to something that somebody else said. Yeah. And again, not good. <sighs> no, but it's not comparing black people to gorillas. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so that's what I saw a lot in high school. Right. Yeah. And I want to say. This doesn't come up in the, the clip we're going to have. We're going to have Ezra go off on this Calvin person and just show you Ezra's mad. <laughs> Ezra's super mad. But Calvin lost his job. He is now fired from the Des Moines Register because of these tweets that he made when he was 18. Uh, having that were like... The, the, the other tweet that they're going to talk about was one where he was being sarcastic about potentially someone else engaging in pedophilic like behavior and Ezra frames this of as Calvin being a pedophile and like oh, it's it's insane but the point is is like anyone who, 
the the only person in this story who really has had damage to them is Calvin. Yeah. Who's now fired from his job. <laughs> and he got fired for that. Yeah. And like that's the thing. This is like why this whole cancel narrative by the right wing is so stupid. Because here you have an example of like, oh no, this kid might or this uh young adult might be denied his lifetime or his year's supply of beer oh, that no. he got for free for doing something silly on the internet. Yeah. But this uh, other person gets to lose his livelihood. Yeah. And, w- and this could actually explain why Calvin was let go. Because when you have the right wing crafting the narratives that Ezra is just about to, to unleash and harassing the Des Moines Register constantly about yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. This is what's going to happen. So here it is. Oh, but my friends, the story has only started. Who is that reporter who did a routine background check by typing in every dirty word he could think of in a search engine going back almost a decade? Well, it's this guy, this creep here, Aaron Calvin. Look, he starts off right away, creep. Catam. Now, you can't judge someone by their physiognomy. Uh, how someone's face looks doesn't tell you about their character. Mm, I don't know. Maybe except in this case here, because... <laughs> so, so Ezra's like, well, you can't judge a book by its cover. But in this case, look at this fucking you can creep. Always, gonna, yeah. yeah. And what... That is all Ezra does. Like, we've gone through episode of... Remember the, the dude with the ankle bracelet and not wearing socks at the mic thing? Yes. Like that's that's yeah. all Ezra pointed out was this dude's looks. And yeah, anyways. The reporter doing the routine background check to name and shame and blame a 24-year-old man who just donated one point for me. Look at that picture. Blow it up. Make that full screen. Yeah, that guy. This was the reporter... The one who just killed a $1.4 million cancer charity for kids. What? That's now, not what happened, though. That's not at all what happened. The money is still being donated to the charity. Who bravely spoke truth to power. Well, looky here. This reporter here. Well, the, I guess when he was hired, the Des Moines Register didn't do a routine background check on him, did they? On, on Aaron Calvin, I mean, the reporter. Now, I'm not going to say the N-word, but boy, Aaron Calvin sure does. As a grown man, as a grown-up, as a media professional, as the guy who took down Carson King, he sure has a foul mouth on him. Look at this. Look at this one. Too many of the, I'm not even going to say the N-word there. Thank God you're not going to say Ezra. It's not French, you (laughs) racist sexist. Here's another. So I'm not going to pronounce that word. So part of this is going to make, I mean, it was bad podcasting to listen to it. So I'm going to subject you to bad podcasting, but he's, he's displaying the tweets and I'm guessing the video premium version of the show, but merely just displaying the bad tweets <laughs> like does not, does not translate well to the audio medium. No, you can, you can really hear the tweets being displayed. Yeah. I'll just let you read it. Thanks, Ezra. <laughs> Let's catch up here. We got racism, check. We got sexism, check. We got So the sexism there, the the one that said the N-word please, he also said bitch in it. That's that's the sexism. So And it wasn't like bitch directed at anyone. Uh yeah. And I, I don't maybe this is something I'm is merely saying the word bitch sexist. <laughs> I'm indifferent. Maybe yeah. Yeah. Anti-police profanity, check. Oh, and homophobia. I just got hit on by Tori Amos's makeup guy. Never talked to strange gay men. And and then he just got really weird. Um, I want to say, I never, I could not find this Tori Amos tweet. So I imagine it's out there. 
And in that case, it wasn't like he's saying uh, gay people are bad. He just didn't want to be hit on by this gay person. Mm. But there might be some veiled homophobia there. Yeah. I don't know. I just want to say, like, that's pretty loose to go on. But yeah, yeah. Sure. Pedophilia. <gasps> I want to grow up and read sex scenes to high schoolers. Sorry, if that's not pedophilia, what's this then? What's this one? <laughs> if, you, if you think that's out of context, look at this next one here. I don't know what you're yeah. instructor at your theater camp teaching the kids how to abuse substances and turn tricks? That's the sarcastic one that I was talking about. Yeah. Like, it's clearly sarcastic. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, please, I want to come to this thing and turn tricks, you know? He's clearly being sarcastic to the other uh, organization. Yeah. Well, who, what, what is this about? Who the hell is this? And of course, of course, he's an anti-Christian bigot. Oh. Calling anyone evangelical a racist. So that's I mean, the media. Well, you know, that's the great investigative reporter at the Demo. I don't know if he mentions it here. I think he might say something like he's anti cop. He did have one tweet that just said, fuck the NYPD. <laughs> I endorse that message. Point <laughs> register who's just doing a happy profile on a good news story, and he brought down Carson King for a dumb joke he made back when he was six. I have to point out, out of all the things to talk about, this is like, what the fuck, Ezra? I know, we're like, we're like, in the middle of an election. What are you getting in? This, I mean, because here's the, this, it surprised me, because I had never heard of this story. I Did you? No. No. Oh. But here's the thing is, when I tried to research it, it was all over right-wing uh, media sources. No one else, but it was like, and you could tell that what what uh, Ezra is doing is he's in that media sphere, and it's almost like they get like each like talking points, yeah, and are not talking points, but like this, we gotta all highlight this story because this is a perfect story of persecution for them. Look at us, we're victims. These stupid, this, the media party, the media party just does these Twitter background searches on everyone and just tries to cancel everybody, and they're kicking us off media. the campuses. It's their victim narrative. Justin Trudeau goes full blackface as an adult again and again. And, and again, he's trying to make the Trudeau hypocrisy constantly. Yeah. And, and nothing. A 16-year-old joke is exhumed to shame a 24-year-old hero. That's unjust. But the monstrous bigot who did this routine background check, yeah, he's grosser than anything I've seen in a long time. Quick question for the Des Moines Register. And for that TV station that had their breaking news flash, will they do the same story on this bigot, Aaron Calvin? Oh, and to the hypocrites at Anheuser-Busch. Will they now cut off their advertising with the Des Moines Register too? A toxic swamp that harbors racist, sexist, homophobic, really and pro-pedophile journalism? <laughs> yeah, I'm mad. Oh, he's mad. He's so so mad. wait, where did the turkeys come in? He just wanted to say that he was still mad about the turkeys. Just <laughs> randomly? He just, he just needed you to know that he is still mad about them turkeys. Oh, I mean, bad. because like to him, like there's this persecution against the right wing. I mean, and the, the turkey one feeds into his anti-Christian narrative too. Because remember, the farmers were Hutterites. And the reason why they were so passive and nice to these protesters was because they're pacifists. And that's why the protesters took advantage. Like, it all is this constant persecution narrative for them. 
Meanwhile, it's like everyone in that situation has moved on. But Ezra. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like I'm trying to say is like, what? What kind of story is this? Who cares? No, not only that, it's in some senses ruined this dude's life. <laughs> Which is fucking horrible. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is, again, white dudes saying stupid shit on Twitter. This is a problem. Let's fix it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I don't think not only so, again, I'm both in favor of him still getting his uh, year's worth of beer and I'm still in favor with Calvin having a job so long as we're having the conversation. Like, mm. it doesn't mean that we have to, like, ruin someone's life. I mean, yeah. I think on the extent. I don't right? think like, Calvin's life is necessarily ruined, but I'm just saying on the <laughs> scale of life ruined, losing the free year of beer that you just recently got for doing something silly on the internet is different than losing your job. Right? Yeah. And it always, it's, Again, like it's always the narrative that somehow it's the right wingers that are losing their jobs, and it's never the case. Yeah. Rarely the case, I should say. They'll probably find one case. So then on the 26th, big day, uh, pretty much is covered. They cover the uh, Greta speaking at the UN. Yeah. They also cover Trump speaking at the UN. And I'm not going to go over any of the Trump stuff because literally it's just Ezra playing clips, clips of Trump's speech, which is pro nationalism and anti-globalization and Ezra just going isn't it great isn't it great it's like he's having an orgasm the whole time but the stuff about Greta just like listen listen to how he just launches right into it and it's pretty disgusting right away I can imagine Greta Thunberg she's that 16 year old Swedish girl who looks more like 12 years old Uh, she's mentally ill (laughs) just right out (laughs) she's mentally ill just right out of like that took eight seconds (laughs) no i mean and here's the thing is she has asperger's like having asperger's does not mean that you can't form a coherent thought or like no it's just so milder well it's on a spectrum but it's a milder form of autism but even but even odd like i mean there's going to be some forms of autism where you're like uh catatonic and you can't speak and like other stuff that's i said it's a spectrum but like i know people who have asperger's and you could never you wouldn't ever I've, I've worked with asperger's uh teenagers before and most of the time you don't even know that they have asperger's it'll yeah. it'll come out in like certain subtleties where they uh they might not get certain social nuances or or things have to be spelled out more clearly for them sometimes but other than that they're human beings yeah <laughs> but it's like clear it's just like i have to say she's mentally ill over and over again oh to make you like afraid of her or think that she somehow is incapable of holding any good thoughts. According to her mother and according to herself, she's been depressed, she's been suicidal, she has other medical problems. Here, listen to her say it. So when I was 11, I became ill. I fell into depression. I stopped talking and I stopped eating. In two months, I lost about 10 kilos of weight. Later on, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, OCD, and selective mutism. Now, he's going to go on, but I just want to highlight there, like, this is before she was diagnosed. Yeah. And she's clearly probably going through therapy and other things to help her now. Yeah. And that that is a reasonable thing to, like, understand. I hate that right away she he goes on about her looks. Like, oh, yeah. she's an underage girl, and the thing you think to target is the way she looks. Yeah, she looks 12 and she's mentally ill. 
And, and I think that what he wants to highlight there is somehow her looking younger is somehow associated with the mental illness. Like a no, Down I think syndrome. What, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, Because mental illness and Down syndrome are two different things. Well, she arrived in America to spread terror and depression, actually. Here she is at the United Nations. Now, look at this girl. She is still mentally ill. She is being used and abused oh my God. for her mental illness. Take a look at this. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? I just want to say that I love that speech. No, she did a fantastic job. And I love all the fucking neoliberal assholes in that audience. Like, yes, you go, <laughs> you go Greta. It's a child speaking. It's like, she's talking about you, idiots. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, if you want, like, oh, it's so stupid. Yeah, get that girl to the kid's help phone or something. Get get child and family services. That is a girl who was suicidal, who lost a quarter of her body weight. Was suicidal. Was. Yeah. She is still not right, and her parents have weaponized her. They're abusers. Now, by the way, she looks about 12, doesn't she? She's not. Again? ill. 16-year-old, I'm not picking on her. I'm not the one pushing her into a media hurricane for my own ends. She's a puppet of lobbyists and extremists and of her crazy, crazy mother. She's the one who's promoting cannibalism. Yeah. And, oh, shit. And her crazy, crazy mother. So it's all the mother's fault. Did you know it's anything that happens to a child? Liberals. It's all, all those vagina-having people yeah. doing vagina-crazy stuff. It's all those goddamn liberals brainwashing their children. Yeah. Now, I wanted to take this time, actually, because you actually went to the Global Climate Strike uh, March. Yes, I did. In Toronto. How'd that go? Um, It was really big. Yeah. And when I mean big, <laughs> I mean there was tons of people. Like, I was shocked because we've been to protests and rallies at Queen's Park and I was at a conference with my union. It was a women's conference. Oh no, women getting together, doing some things. And so they actually ahead of time made a bunch of picket signs and a banner and we all went on a bus and um, just, you know, went to Queen's Park. What I do have to say that I was disappointed about my union (laughs) is we stayed for probably like a half an hour. It was weird. Like people would just kind of part as we were walking and we were doing chants and then we had a lot of people taking pictures of us in the group of us all with our PSAC signs and it was really interesting because like a lot of people just sat there filming like all the other protesters (laughs) as we walked around all of Queens Park and then they actually started the march and what ended up happening and this really disappointed me I was really upset is they wanted um, indigenous leaders to be at the front and a bunch of protesters just decided up, oh, we're going without these indigenous leaders. 
So the people who helped organize the rally, they got them to go a different route um, so they can meet up with the front of the march and be at the front. And I, I don't know. I kind of thought that was kind of shitty that people just felt the need to like go before them. Yeah. But so we ended up following behind this indigenous group being like, we're waiting for them to go. And then we see that they're going the wrong way. And then what ends up happening was uh, the when they saw our group, because it was distinctively different from the group of indigenous uh, protesters, the organizers of the rally were like, oh, no, you have to go this way. And then we were so far away from people that they're like, okay, guys, we're just going to wait for 30 minutes and we're going to go back on the bus and go back to the conference. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? Like, we didn't even do the march. So that I mean, was... it gets pretty chaotic. I mean, like, there was something like yeah, several it's... hundred thousand people. And then, okay, whatever. But then we did a, like, a debrief exercise where we had to fill out a worksheet after we got back to this conference <laughs> of how we felt during the conference. I mean, the rally. And That's I was something like... that bugs me about a lot of conferences. Yeah. It's kind then... of like wishy-washy activities. And then I was like, I would have rather still been there. Yeah. And a lot of times we were standing around and it was really hot outside as well. And it would have been just nice to like walk. Yeah. Like March. And I just felt like it was such a waste of time. Um, another thing I do want to comment on was there was like a huge diversity of people there, which was fantastic because you had like young people, older people there, um, different ethnic groups there, just like everyone coming together for this one cause, like people you just want to expect to see there. Even like super conservative groups which was funny and weird so i think it's interesting that ezra i mean ezra as we've seen is so against um any sort of like climate change action and a lot of right-leaning people are but well, i mean ezra in particular because he gets his funding from the coke family yes of right? course. i mean so yeah, he has yeah. a financial interest Ethical in oil being, yeah I get but there that. is a weird contingent of the far right which is called eco-fascism uh, the one, I think the individual who yeah, shot but, up El Paso is a, an eco-fascist. Sure, but it's nothing like that extreme that I yeah. saw. There was a lot of people who are just conservative voters. Kind of conservative people. youths especially are, are very pro, uh, are, are aware that global warming is an issue. <laughs> they yeah. probably disagree on, on certain things that need to do to, to fix the problem. Well, so like in our... Um, in the group, like we were doing photos and we had CBC covering us and like CTV as well. And I think it was just because our group came in and it's a bunch of women with picket signs, all chanting. Doing well, they very know organized, PSAC as well. Yeah, doing very organized chants, right? So like they were a lot, we got a lot of media attention on us. Um, and this one guy held up a sign saying like, uh, was it Chris, Christy Freeland's going to lose her job? He's like, look at my sign. And I was like, why, why do you have that sign? Yeah. Like, I was so confused. Aren't we protesting something else? And he's like, because it's about justice. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, but do you think that's appropriate? Like, that's this isn't the place for like, like, that's not the point of this. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to be confrontational. I was just kind of laughing at him because he was so proud of it. And I was kind of like, what? Like, And then he was like, well, like, I hope she does lose her job. And I was like, okay he's like it's about justice this is what this is really about it's about all about justice and then he started talking to me about conservative like that he's voting conservative and that how much he loves the conservative party and i kept trying not to engage with him yeah. and he kept talking to me now we had this other guy come up i don't even know what his role was but he was dressed up in a suit and kept harassing us and kept trying to take photos of us 
Um, That's super weird. And he was just talking to us about Doug Ford and how much he loves Doug Ford. And he was, like, really dressed up for this, like, super hot rally. <laughs> like, he was wearing suits, nice shoes, everything. And we were like, who are you? And he kept trying to take photos of us. And it was really creepy. And then start debating with us about things. Of course. That was interesting. But that's basically, <laughs> that was my, my... Um... I guess moving... Oh, uh, so moving on, they end the show with this interview with a guy named John Carpe about a case in bc and here's the thing is i can't find out a lot of information about this case i'm sure as the case starts unfolding more information will come to light uh but there's this case where a male babysitter i guess had ads or like was looking at ads on kijiji for people wanting a babysitter okay and he responded to one of the uh ads and the person with the ad posted i think their name was todd was like asked them a question about like their gender and stuff like this and he responded that he was a man and gave his age and stuff like this and then the guy who posted the ad didn't get back to him and just hired someone else okay and the person filed a complaint with i guess it's not bc it's the alberta human rights uh tribunal filed a complaint saying that i was being discriminated against based on my gender so john carpe actually works for this organization that deals with, uh, I guess, legal issues in Canada, specifically having to do with the Human Rights Tribunal. And they're called the Justice Center of Constitutional Freedoms. And so everything that was written uh, in the news about this case all seemed to be coming from talking points from a media release from this organization. And I'll get to the organization in a second, but it just made it like researching this case very difficult because I couldn't get... I want something other than the person representing the people being prosecuted if it was a, that kind of case, but it's not that kind of case yet. It's just at the beginning stages in this human rights uh, complaint. Uh, so anyways, this is them sort of uh, John Carpe and Ezra basically describing the situation. But he's not the culprit. It's the legislation that allows that in the same way that well, he we gained this. Is, he's the weirdo. I'm sorry, I'm going to say the word weirdo. I know you're not going to say that because you're a proper lawyer. <laughs> It gets really awkward at some point here, but I just love this. We're like, he's a weirdo. Uh, Again, I have no information whether he's weird or not. I can understand that there could be some cases where someone might be discriminated against. I also can see that maybe this isn't a legitimate complaint because it seems weird. Since these people are looking for someone to come into their home and look after their kids, there might, there's like rights of the parent and like other things at odds here. But so I Whatever. But, like, I don't think that that necessarily makes the guy a creep for filing this kind of complaint. Okay. But he's a weirdo. He's a weirdo. He's taking advantage of something that's in place. Same, same with Jonathan you can, and even in exactly, Vancouver. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, it's fine. We can be we can be critical. He's, he's probably... I want to say that again. Sorry for the dead name. That was Jessica Yaniv, and, and that's an ongoing case uh, that's happening in the BC Human Rights Tribunal. So Ezra has always been against the human uh, rights courts in Canada and has written books about it that we'll probably cover eventually in the future. You're upset over the fact that uh, people, most parents want a female babysitter, yeah. right? Yeah, if he's so, upset about so that, that's reality. fight the world, fight human nature. But So apparently wanting, <laughs> wanting a female uh, babysitter, that's just human, human nature. nature. Can't get over it. 
So therefore, declining someone because they're a man in this case is just, just normal. You know, this is this is the problem with the human rights legislation. It needs to be amended because it's gone from a freedom from... When they talked about human rights in 1945, mm -hmm. after the war, after the Holocaust, after everything, the human mm -hmm. right was my right to practice my religion, my right to speak, mm -hmm. my right to own and enjoy property, mm -hmm. my right to educate my children as I see best, not as the government or some political activists. Those were the, the human rights were those kind of fundamental freedoms. But now it's been twisted into a claim against other people. So I have a human right, or a person has a human right to have male genitalia waxed by women and to force the women to do that, or a human right to compel uh, parents that want a female babysitter to have to hire a male babysitter. This is the shift. Yeah. And, and so the problem is the legislation, more so than I would say a Yaniv or a Cyrinowski or anybody else. So Notice the twist there, because what he's saying is like, you want these freedoms against discrimination. But then he goes, but these other cases are somehow not discrimination. Now, if, again, the Yaniv case is, is being dealt with, so it's an ongoing thing. But if it's the case, if you're a storefront that denies something to a trans individual, yeah. if that is the outcome of the case, it might not be. But if that is the outcome of the case, then that is a, a discrimination issue. Because if you're a storefront open to the public, yeah. you shouldn't have the right to discriminate people based on their race, yeah. gender, religion, etc. They, they take it and then they turn it in this way to be like, oh, but it's like waxing testicles when you don't want it or like forcing a man into your home. So I'm going to play this clip just because this is an Alexi Jonesy moment of Ezra, like the most Alexi Jonesy, I have ever heard uh, Ezra, so just listen to this beautiful clip. I will have access to your kids! What? <laughs> <laughs> this is how they're framing this dude who's just, like, complaining that maybe I got discriminated against. So he gets a bit more into it with this, like, this is just a dude who's demanding access to your to your children. Damages to dignity. Which is a lot of money for, for about 90% of the population to be ordered to pay $1,000, $1,500. That is a huge sum For of nothing, money. because for someone said, I want to have a grandmotherly type babysit my kid. Oh my God. No, I want to babysit your kid. You hurt my feelings. And I know it's sounding very strange here, but that's... <laughs> looks to me a man saying, I demand access to your child. What? The demand is what makes me immediately say, you are a weirdo. I don't want anywhere near That's my right. You're a weirdo yeah. for doing some cookie monster impersonation. You probably feel uncomfortable. But anyone <laughs> who sues, anyone who sues demanding access to a child. This lawyer is the best. is hurt that you're not letting me play with your kids. Who are you? I still, I hear what you're saying. And <laughs> <laughs> He just he keeps on like every time Ezra goes on one of these rants, he's just like, I gotta change, <laughs> I gotta move the discussion elsewhere. Uh, he doesn't move it to anywhere interesting, so I didn't play the rest of it. It's just amazing how awkward this guy is. I want to end, so he he ends the show, and I just want to highlight uh, the ending uh, where he basically uh, vouches for and tells people to go donate to John and his uh, center, and. I want to play that first, and then I'll get into who John Carpe is and the weirdness about the organization. That's correct, and we are a registered charity. We gratefully accept donations. We issue an official tax receipt, and our funding is 100% from voluntary donations, like the Rebel. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I've enjoyed uh, crowdfunding for you in the past, and we've sent some dough your way, and I would encourage any of our viewers who like 
what John has done, and I know you like it because John's one of our fan favorites, so feel free to go directly to his site as jccf.ca. Keep us posted. Uh, if you have cases that you think could use a little bit of juice, a little bit of more coverage, uh, I know we've crowdfunded for you before. Happy to do so in the future. We just like to know a little bit about the case. I mean, even the case we're talking about today gets my blood boiling. I'm sure it gets the blood boiling of our viewers too. The JCCF. I mean, it's, they frame it as we get these voluntary donations. And of course you want to say that because that makes it seem like you're a completely grassroots funded organization, yeah. right? So make people believe in your cause. Right. So John Carpe was the Alberta director of the Canadian Taxpayer Federation and is the current head of, as they said, the Justice Center of Constitutional Freedoms. Now, these two uh, organizations receive money from what's called the Atlas Network. Okay. And this was created by Sir Anthony Fisher, who is some UK uh, politician. Uh, I think he worked with Margaret Thatcher. And and he's also responsible of creating the, the Fraser Institute, which we've talked about on the show, which is a right-wing think tank in Canada. And they pretty much just promote libertarian-style causes. I just want to focus the Atlas Network. A lot of people speculate that it has to do with Ayn Rand. Because uh, oh. <laughs> of her book, Atlas Shrugged, yeah. which on the cover has uh, Atlas holding up the, the earth. And they actually have on their websites uh, frequently asked questions <laughs> whether they're inspired by Ayn Rand. And they explicitly say that the name does not come from Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. But oh. I, I call BS on that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but, eh. you know, doth protest too much. Like, if you have to include it on your website. But... Where, where does the Atlas Network get their money? Coke Brothers. Coke Brothers! <laughs> it's just all Coke funded. And so the JCCF uh, primarily gets their funding from the Atlas Network, which is funded by the Coke Brothers. So again, these foreign Americans just feeding in their oil money into our country. You know Lindsay Shepard? Yeah. She now works for the JCCF. So. Aw. Oh, sweet. <laughs> So it's all the right-wing grift. They're just this really insular bunch that everyone knows each other. So uh, so again, I'm sure this case will come up again and we'll continue to cover it. And I don't know where the legality is, but like to me, I have no problem with having the human rights court there to deal with these kinds of complaints and, and adjudicate them. Because if there is discrimination and it's the kind of discrimination that we want to make sure doesn't happen in our country, it's cool that they're there. And yeah. Pretty much, uh, Ezra just runs on that. These courts need to be gotten rid of, which is bad, in my opinion. Okay, we're going to get into the main segment. Now we're going to talk about impeachment. So they did an episode on impeachment. They had guest uh, Joe Pollock on who is actually the guy at the end of the show who talks about homeless people and cell phones every, every week. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's an editor for Breitbart Media, and that's who Ezra then turns to to talk about this Ukrainian kerfuffle. Yes. The Ukraine is weak. It's feeble. I think it's time to put the hurt on the Ukraine. I come from Ukraine. You're not say Ukraine weak. Yeah, well, we're playing a game here, pal. Ukraine is game to you. How about I take your little Boris? Everyone knows we're going into impeachment inquiry mode in the United States. And I want to begin with just doing like an, an interesting background thing to just see for those who aren't in the know how kind of like lame this whole like nature of impeachment is or especially how the Republicans deal with it. 
And so I'm curious, like, how much do you know about the impeachment of, say, Bill Clinton? Of Bill Clinton? Yeah, Bill Clinton. Not much. So he did get impeached in the House. So the history is he got impeached in the House, but he was acquitted in the Senate. So that's why he remained president. Yeah. But he was still impeached in the House, which is probably what's going to happen to Trump unless some unforeseen thing happens in the next little bit. It's likely that Trump's going to get impeached in the House, but then the Senate's going to acquit. Like a lot of people think that he got impeached because of the blowjob in the Oval Office and, and all this stuff. Yeah. Really? I mean, that's all you kind of hear. About yeah. It, so. Really what happened was he was impeached for perjury, which is lying under oath. Okay. And the history of that is like really weird. So basically it started off with this thing called whitewater. The Clintons were accused of doing something nefarious with this property they own that, that the Republicans suspected was some sort of like bribe or uh, they didn't really have any evidence of anything, but figured there was some wrongdoing going on with Whitewater. And that's when they got the special counsel. So the Robert Mueller of our time, they got this dude named Kenistar. It had to do with this property thing. And you're thinking, okay, that's weird. How does it get from that to this blowjob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what happened was back then, because of what happened under Nixon. So Nixon was never impeached. What happened was they were going to have impeachment hearings in the, they were already having impeachment inquiry in the uh, House. And they were going to vote and it was going to pass and it was going to go to the Senate. And Barry Goldwater, who is famous for starting the Southern strategy and all this other stuff. Uh, so not a great figure in history, actually went to Richard Nixon and was like, if this comes to the Senate, we're going to vote in favor of your impeachment. And that's when Nixon resigned. Right. Yeah. And so because of this and because of all the Nixon stuff, this, the, the authority of the special counsel was broadened, which is the idea is like, you just investigate. Yeah. <laughs> right? So they brought in the special counsel, Kenneth Starr, over the Whitewater issue. Yeah. But then what they found was there was all these other things that started happening. So the one thing that happened was this woman named Paula Jones was suing Bill Clinton for sexual harassment. Okay. So again, not Monica Lewinsky. Okay. And Kenneth Starr saw this as an opportunity. Because they started, like, picking up on some tidbits and, like, we're hearing the Monica Lewinsky thing. And so the people work, so the star investigation working with the uh, case for Paula Jones were thinking, if you want to get him sort of found guilty with the Paula Jones stuff, one way to increase your chances is to show that Clinton is also having this affair with this woman in, in the White House. Yeah. So during depositions, so Bill Clinton got deposed and that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. and It was found that you can depose a sitting president and had to sit and take deposition. And in that deposition, he was asked what his relationship with Monica Lewinsky is. And his response was, there's nothing going on between us. Isn't that like where he's like, I did not have sexual. No. So that was like his public statement, yeah. like when the story started. So this is before everyone in the world was on the up and up about, okay. <laughs> about the whole scandal, right? So he gets, but but the, you know, rumors are happening. They're getting tidbits of information. Yeah. So actually what happened is Linda Tripp, who is a woman who worked uh, with uh, Monica Lewinsky, recorded Monica Lewinsky without her knowledge at getting her to confess to the affair. And then she, Linda Tripp, went and ratted this out to the FBI and like other stuff. And so okay. that's a whole or other or ordeal, but that's how a lot of the investigators knew that this affair was happening yeah. before it became sort of public. And so they got the the uh, lawyers in the deposition case to ask this question to Clinton. What is your relationship with Monica Lewinsky? And he says, there's nothing going on between us. Now, that's what they said is he perjured himself. 
And the reason why he perjured himself was because he was having this affair yeah. with Monica Lewinsky. However, this is Bill Clinton's defense. So I'm just going to read you what his defense was in this case. So he goes, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. If the, if, if he, if is means is and never has been, that is not, that is one thing. If it means there is none, that was completely true statement. Now, if someone had asked me on that day, are you having any kind of sexual relations with Miss Lewinsky? That is, ask me a question in the present tense, I would have said no, and it would have been completely uh -huh. true. So what he's saying is because they were saying at that moment, are you having a relationship with Monica Lewinsky? And really the relationship had already ended. To him, he was saying there's nothing going on between us and he was being truthful. But if the is meant in the entirety of the history of the universe, then it would have been like a false statement. But yeah. he's saying he read it as the present tense. I think that's a pretty clever argument. <laughs> and, and, and Bill Clinton was given the nickname uh, Slick Willie for reasons like this. In modern day standards, or even back then, I still think it's shitty what happened to Monica Lewinsky. And there's definitely like issues with the power imbalance and all this yeah. crazy stuff. But this is literally what he was impeached for, was the definition of the word is in uh, a deposition for a sexual harassment case uh, in, in the, these weird circumstances. Now, you put that in today's context. I mean, Trump has already been found guilty as a criminal co-conspirator in a uh, election uh, financial uh, scandal, yeah. right? So he's already technically been labeled by a court as individual one as someone who engaged in this criminal behavior. Uh, criminal yeah, behavior. Yeah. So, so already Trump has gone well beyond yeah, oh, no, he definitely this, this yeah. case, right? And here's the thing is a lot of these Republicans like Lindsey Graham mm -hmm. voted for Clinton's impeachment and were the ones pushing the investigation at this time okay. are now saying we can't in, in, like, investigate Trump, right? So just putting a little context on, on all of that. Uh, the history of impeachment in America has just been really silly. But after that happened with Kenneth Starr, they restricted a lot of what uh, special counsels can do. And so Mueller felt like his hands were tied. Well, he was also someone, a tight ass himself, who probably didn't want to go beyond the, the, the yeah. reins. But there was ways in which he was limited in his scope and couldn't go beyond it. That Kenneth Starr had the freedom to do. And those like uh, that ability was reined in by the Democrats because of what Kenneth Starr did, right? Yeah. And in that case, it like made it bad when you have a really shitty person like Trump and he does like all these crazy things, right? So they get into talking about impeachment. And first, it's kind of a boring discussion because they're just talking about uh, the Democratic field who has supported impeachment. Yeah. And the interesting thing is uh, Pollock goes, oh, he's like, Tulsi's getting a bump in the polls for saying that impeachment is not good and we shouldn't do it. And he's like praising Tulsi Gabbard. Meanwhile, Tulsi, like, I don't think she actually did get a bump in the polls and she's no. still polling around zero to one percent. Yeah. And not only that, two days after this aired, she came out in favor of impeachment. So, <laughs> so even that point is uh, moot. And, and he uses this in his, as an example to say that coming out against impeachment is a good strategy, which shows to me that he doesn't understand what the hell's happening right now. So, th so that's it. Most of the conversation, they avoid all the details and are merely focusing on whether it's a politically good strategy or not. And then finally, they get into the actual allegations, and they're super brief about it, but I'm going to play you the clip. They get pretty much everything wrong. <laughs> but here's the clip. Even Mitt Romney might have trouble with this one now that I think about it, because there's nothing in this transcript at all. Well, let's talk about it just for one minute. I read it this morning. 
it's a fairly brief phone call. I don't, I don't think that phone call was even 10 minutes. It was between Trump and the new president of Ukraine. And, you know, the Ukrainian president was just showering Trump with love. I mean, he was a lot of flattery. There is a lot of flattery. So this yeah. part is true. But you're the Ukrainian president. And for context, tr at this moment when this telephone call is happening, Trump is withholding funding to him. Funding that was earmarked by Congress that Trump had to give to him and was not doing it. So, like, context background to this phone call, right? Yeah. So, of course, the Ukrainian president is going to be like, oh, you're wonderful. And I think one of the things he says is basically like, oh, Trump, like, we, we learned from you with your drain the swamp language. And we're for draining the swamp, too. They bashed Angela Merkel a bit, saying Angela Merkel talks about supporting Ukraine, but doesn't actually support it. Trump says, right. we support you more than anyone. Uh, the Ukrainian says, yeah, sure. Uh, then they talked about Rudy Giuliani would be in touch with some questions about a, pass, a possible past. Bribe might be the wrong word, but it, it relates to this. Here's, here's Joe Biden talking about how he demanded Ukraine fire a prosecutor that was closing in on Joe Biden's son's company. And here, just let Joe Biden tell it. Take a look at this. So before we get to the Joe Biden clip, I want to show you, like, you can see that Ezra is struggling with how to frame this because he doesn't want to, like, is, but a bribe, uh, and he just doesn't want to talk about it because as soon as you start talking about the details, yeah, it is really fucking condemning yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Donald Trump. The other thing I want to highlight is you'll notice at the very beginning of this is the other thing I wanted to bring up is he called this call very brief. And that's going to be important later for some of the things that Pollock says. But I just want to highlight that. This call was super brief. Like, you can read the transcript. It's like a page long. It's like okay. a super brief phone call. Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev. And, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. Now, I'm going to explain the, a bit of the context here. So what Biden is saying is when he was vice president, he was over in the Ukraine. And he, Biden doesn't carve out the context here. Or maybe he does, but it's a short little clip. But you had organizations like the uh, Monetary Fund and also a bunch of anti-corruption organizations that wanted this prosecutor in Ukraine to go. And the reason why they wanted this prosecutor to go was because he got into his position saying that he was going to be pro-anti-corruption uh, and fight all these things. But once he got into power, he wasn't doing what he advocated for doing. Yeah. And then... Biden, there was this money that was like stipulated that it was going to go to Ukraine again, sort of similar to the Trump thing, but a little different. And Biden was like, we're not going to give you the money unless this prosecutor goes because yeah. the prosecutor is engaging in corruption and tells the story. And, and we don't know how much of the story is true or him just like 
coming up with a narrative that makes him look kick ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I mean? The retelling of it. Like, yeah, and I told him, like, no, we're not going to give you the thing. And then he, like, call the president. He's like, I will call the president. You know what I mean? And it, but anyway, so they got the prosecutor fired. Yeah. And they want to make this comparison to what Trump is doing. And I, I'll let them sort of go into more detail here, but I will explain why the comparison is really stupid. If I read the transcript right, Trump was saying, can you help us look into what happened years ago? Is that uh, There was no bribing in the call going forward. It was help us clean up the swamp going backwards. Did I read the transcript right, Joel? No. Um, you have to read it with a menacing voice. And <laughs> You have to you have to twirl your mustache as you read it. That's that's how this is meant to be read. We have to stage a dramatic reading of the transcript. No, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is basically chit chat, and the first person to bring up corruption is actually the Ukrainian president, who says that he borrowed his idea of draining the swamp from Donald Trump, and they're trying to drain the swamp in Ukraine. And Trump talks about a few other things, and then he says, "Oh yeah, by the way." We've just finished this Robert Mueller investigation, and it was a total disaster. Nothing came of it. By the way, uh, some of it started. We're trying to get to the bottom of how it started in the first place. And could you tell us what you can find out about that? Yeah. And the Ukrainian president says, OK, yeah, sure, no problem. And then Trump says, oh, yeah, and there was this prosecutor that got fired. Yeah, Joe Biden's son has something to do with it. Can you look into that? And uh, I'll have uh, Attorney General Barr call you and uh, Rudy Giuliani. And he says, yeah, sure, no problem. We're, we're happy to help. We, we want to be friendly with you. And, and that's it. Um, what the left and the media here are trying to say is that because Trump mentioned military aid, as you said, uh, earlier in the call, in the context of completely different part of the discussion, talking about the EU and Russia and Ukraine and that whole conflict, they're trying to say that Trump dropped a hint earlier in the conversation, well, we give you a lot of aid, don't we? And then later said, you know, you can do me a little favor. Um, they're, they're trying to say that there was an implied threat. How far apart do you think is the talk about the military spending and him saying you need to do us a favor? Uh, like one after the other? Literally one after the other. Yeah. <laughs> Literally one after the other. Uh, so basically, the Ukrainian president says, oh, we're looking... I'm paraphrasing here. It was basically, we're looking forward to buy javelins from you. And the, the literal next response from Donald Trump is basically, yeah, okay... But you need to do us a favor, though. Yeah. Now that that language, you need like you need to do us a favor, though, is clear. Like that's the thing is like you're now you're talking a quid pro quo. Yeah. And it's immediately after that that then for, he goes into uh, the first thing, and the first thing he tells him to investigate this thing called CrowdStrike. Now, what CrowdStrike is is a company that like ran servers for the DNC, and the conspiracy theory is that. Russia was not the ones who hacked the DNC. It was the DNC working with the Russians to hack themselves to like blame it on. It's like this weird thing. And the theory is that the DNC server is actually in the Ukraine. And the reason they go that is because the company president who works for CrowdStrike mm -hmm. is Ukrainian nationals who's like vaguely tied to Putin. So it's the idea that really the Russians are working with the Democrats to like this really mind-numbing thing so basically trump's going look we'll give you and again they don't mention the fact that trump is withholding the money here and they don't mention it in the phone call either but in this timeline trump is withholding military funding from them that's earmarked by congress and then is saying oh we'll like make this all go well for you but you have to do us a favor though which is 
<laughs> like that's what he's getting impeached for. Uh, now the stuff about Biden is is kind of like interesting on its own because again you saw there you can then go okay now isn't what uh, Trump is doing similar to what Joe Biden did, which mm-hmm. was like if you don't do this thing for us, we're not going to give you the money. You got to fire that prosecutor. Yeah. Right. Now, what happened there was Biden basically was sent there to do that by the government. Mm -hmm. So even though he put on his own personal flair, that's the reason why he was going. The other reason they say that this is pernicious is because Biden's son, Hunter, works for a Ukrainian company named Brasima, which is an energy company. And so people think the firing of the prosecutor was actually Biden firing the prosecutor so that the prosecutor would not go after the company his son works for. However, that prosecutor said that he was going to investigate that company. And when they got into power, did not investigate the co- didn't investigate anyone. He was basically ran on anti-corruption, got in there and didn't do anything. So by firing that person, it actually had the potential of having a prosecutor that would go after Brasima, which is the company that Joe Biden's son looked at. So there's like to connect the dots to say firing this prosecutor somehow had a positive effect on Joe Biden's son yeah. is just not true. And he had the whole like government and and economic community that was supporting him and trying to get rid of his prosecutor. Yeah. So it's a completely different situation. Uh and these, those are the only talking points. And here's the thing. It's very easy that they could have just read off or told you the appropriate order of this thing. But instead, they have to go on this. Oh, and it, was, it was like they get somehow the liberals are connecting this dot up here with this dot down here. And it's like none of that is true for all the people who are against Mueller, the Mueller investigation. Like this is a completely different thing. And I have to say this one's really bad. And there's tons of evidence already. It's like they could have, in my mind, they could have the impeachment hearings right now and they could vote yes on the information they already have. It might be fun to have an investigation where they bring up more information and be like, oh, it's even worse than we thought. But uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to get impeached in the House. The question is whether... Okay, so, because I don't know much about this because I don't really follow American politics as closely as you do. So what are the consequences of him being impeached in the House but not in the Senate? It's ego stuff. My, my thing is it's, it's going to damage his ego. Uh, and that might help in that it also damages him in the eyes of the public. Mm-hmm. Right? There's only been two other presidents in the history of the United States that have been impeached. Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. Yeah. And Andrew Johnson was impeached uh, largely because he was a racist, but for other reasons. He was the person who replaced uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln after Abraham Lincoln got shot. Okay. And again, he was impeached by the House, but was acquitted in the Senate. Yeah. And often this happens because a lot of times uh, it's very hard to have a supermajority, which is that you have control over both the House and the Senate. Yeah. Uh, and so it just so happens that this, I mean, the Republicans had a supermajority for the first half of the Trump administration, but they don't have one now. So now you're going to have the case where they're probably going to impeach. They have the votes. So enough people have come out in favor of impeachment that if they held the vote in the House right now, he will get impeached. Yeah. But then the question is, will the Senate? And here's where it gets tricky, because the Senate numbers are pretty close, but you need a two thirds majority to do it. Yeah. So you because it's you, a special circumstance. Right. That's why. And so the question is whether or not you can drag enough Republicans over to do it. And there might be some. 
there has been some that do signals. So you, you heard that uh, Pollock mentioned Mitt, Mitt Romney. Yeah. And he's one of these people who, like Jeff Flake last term, is a senator that constantly speaks in, in very, like, the tone's bad. And, like, he's not being presidential. But, like, they really don't do anything to, to stop any of his mm-hmm. bullshit. But they signal a kind of, like... This is gross and icky, and I and I don't like it. We need to bring respectability back to politics, and but yeah. you never see them like actually push against them. So there's a possibility that people like that will move over, but the people like Lindsey Graham, I mean, they've they seem to be he's innocent. This is a witch hunt. Um, we're not gonna. It's a waste of time. It's gonna hurt them in the election anyway. So let's just do this kind of attitude. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't think it's gonna hurt the Democrats in this election. And part of part of that too. So like people use the Bill Clinton impeachment scandal uh, as being evidence that impeachment doesn't hurt a president because uh, it didn't really hurt the Democrats to a large extent. But that doesn't translate to what's going on with Trump. For one, because uh, as I gave you the details with the Bill Clinton one, it's not it's a as, completely it's a different, much more serious case, right? And you don't have in that case you had a lot of people coming out. Uh, comedians and stuff like this. And again, this this feeds into the why it was a bad time for feminism when you had all these comedians joking about the blowjob in the Oval Office, yeah. not really digging into the power dynamics, right? Yeah. But you had people joking at the fact that the Republicans were doing this. No one's... Cr- people are cracking jokes at the expense of Trump right now because of <laughs> how much of an... Because they, they didn't have to release this transcript of the phone call. Yeah. But Trump was adamant about just release it. And it, <laughs> so they like shot themselves in the fucking foot. Yeah. And so people are like making fun of them. But they like, and that's the thing. So it's it's obviously not going to affect the people that believe in this like wacky crowd strike theory. Of course, and like, yeah. But I don't think it's going to have such a negative effect that the Democrats are going to impeach. In fact, I think it's going to have a boost in the Democratic base because a lot of people... Sure, they care about health care. Sure, they care about all these things. But they also think that Trump's a fucking idiot and needs to go. <laughs> so you're going to... I think those people outweigh any of these people that people think exist that are the kinds of people like, oh, well, like I'm not like left or right. And I think we all just need to get along. And the problem isn't uh, Donald Trump. The problem is just we need more civility in politics. Yeah. <laughs> I think those people are much more rare than people... Uh, suspect exist but we'll see i i I know that this is going to be something that ezra is going to talk about Uh, i also hope that this is fun for any american listeners because most of the information tends to be canadian focused so hey we had an american focused uh sort of story uh but this is going to be things that are going to going to be a continuing narrative for ezra because ezra fucking loves trump and you know that as this impeachment hearing goes I'm going to be curious if there's going to be a point where he might jump ship. Like if there's enough critical mass, like say something more radical comes out. I mean, I'm just, I don't think that that ever will happen. I'm just saying that would be really interesting to listen. What would be more radical than him, you know, sexually assaulting women, you know, inciting, um, P tape. (laughs) There's like a A literal tape. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying that there could be some, threshold i mean you never know what it is i mean what because here's the thing is the the interesting thing about richard nixon the only reason you had the uh the turn 
where the Senate was going to vote for his impeachment yeah. was the fact that these tapes got released. And the only reason the tapes got released because it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and he got forced to release them. And if that never happened, he doesn't resign. Yeah. Right? So you never know what's going to come. Maybe maybe there's tapes. What's on the secret server? If they get to subpoena it and they are the uh, Democratic House it gets access to what's on that server, what if there's like a communication between Trump and Putin that actively talks about like doing yeah. some shit? Like, who knows? I mean, this is the fun of an impeachment. <laughs> they get some kind of uh, prosecut- prosecutorial powers that they don't have currently. Yeah. And you might get some fun information that shows Trump to be even worse than we already think that he is. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's 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 going to be harder to spit. I mean, the interesting thing is the, the fast pace of this one is making it hard for the right wing to spin it in ways that they've done all the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? It's just beginning. So it could be tons of fun. Uh, <laughs> so they end just, the, this is my favorite part is they end by like, Ezra going, oh, Joel, how, who do you think is going to win the election of uh, the Democratic uh, side? And Pollock's predicting that Kamala Harris is going to win. What? Uh, and I just want to say she's slipping in the polls. It doesn't look very good for her. I think she's like below Yang or tied with oh, Yang no. now, which is like not good for Harris. Uh, and so I think that's a really stupid prediction, which is I, I wanted to say that just because I don't know what's going on here. Like, is it just that he's so in his own bubble that he thinks that she's going to win because she's a black woman and that's just what Democrats do? Yeah, probably. Or or what it is. I just, I don't get it. I mean, for someone to become the editor, I mean, it's Breitbart, sure. <laughs> Maybe I'm answering my own fucking question. It's just, how can you be that dense? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Watch Kamala Harris becomes the nom and then I'm oh, eating gosh. my own fucking words. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, you can give us a buck or two if you want. Huh? A little aggressive. Listen, I'm making a pitch here. I don't have a fucking job. (laughs) So you can donate to patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. And we also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter and I will eventually start streaming research shows. I I might actually add as well, uh, do like in the middle of the week, like YouTube, like maybe five minute clips. If something like the David Menzies breaking news thing happens, I'll do like a, hey, just coming in here with this wacky story that just dropped. Uh, I might do things like that. But also, if I'm up to it, we'll start streaming some of my research sessions. Uh, Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. And I will get to some of them at the end of each episode. If anyone wants to send any questions, no one's given us a question. Or corrections. If we ever fuck up, please let us know. And we'll correct that. And uh, that's the end of the show. Don't give Ezra access to your kids. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good one. homeless people in LA have smartphones